1: Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 225. Another Zoom episode. Uh, So I encourage those of uh, you who like to listen uh, primarily on podcast platforms because, well, it's a podcast. So if you're listening on iHeartRadio or Spreaker, you know, maybe hit pause and go to YouTube because now I'm finally updating my YouTube channel. Uh, I'll, I'll be posting all the Zoom interviews there. And if you go there, You get to see many an episode with my co-pilot from down under. You know what? That's the name I'm going to go with. I think Mark Alexander. Yeah, you have to get now. You have to get a shirt that says that, like a little label that says.
2: I need another uh, shirt like I need a hole in the head. (laughs) I gotcha. So this is uh,
1: Mark Alexander Erber, the uh, CEO and founder of Golden Robot Records. He's been on many an episode. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of great uh, You know. uh, He's a great roster, you know, with the for obviously former GNR members like Gilby Clark and, and Frank Farrar, uh, Hookers and Blow, Dizzy Reed. But we have a returning guest because also they have LA guns. So I, I will try to, um, yeah, I, I Steve <laughs> Riley, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you because I feel like we're, we're friends. I it wasn't that long ago. Uh, yeah, that's right,
3: that's right, bro.
1: One of the, I think it was one of the first Zoom interviews that, uh, because I'm a radio guy.
3: I'm, I'm awkward. I am I to Zoom.
1: I
2: brought Zoom to your life. That's you right. really did. I, I had no idea what to do with it. You brought it into my life. And to Steve life. Yeah, I was talking to a band this morning um, that were looking to, to sign old-school 70s band. I won't say who it is yet. And I said to the, man, to the manager, I said, you know what? If I can teach Steve Riley how to get on Zoom, anyone can get on Zoom. And he's <laughs> a legend at <better> it now. <laughs>
1: I remember you saying that. Absolutely. So uh, Mark, obviously it's a pleasure. Steve, it's a pleasure having you. you back on
2: thank
1: and you. Kelly Nichols. I got to say you have Go been ahead. a guest that has been requested for quite some time to be on this show. So I thank you oh boy! Good. Glad that we can finally make this happen, Kelly. Good. Glad to be here. And I got to ask you first, though, since if people are watching uh, this, where yeah. is here? Because are you in a cave? Is I will say you're you're the first person ever to do Zoom in sunglasses, which is full <laughs> badass, which I appreciate. I
0: am always in an undisclosed location.
1: <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Oh, and I love right. that. Right. Uh, no, I, I love it. I love it. So I just welcome LA Guns and uh, thank you. Please, I because I, I know where was the conversation before because Renegades was like just fresh out right when Steve came on. So Absolutely. where are we now with, I guess the process and no, the, uh, the
2: first single. The first single was out. Crawl was out when he was on, right. And then since then, we've we've done a well Old machine. And then recently, we just dropped Renegades, the single. And I got to say, unbelievable. Like unbelievable streaming across every platform. Unbelievable comments. Uh, like the 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 force of nature that's behind this release is quite incredible from the fans and everybody that's that's involved with it. And then we announced, and what the boys will talk about it later, but we announced that the new album Renegades for November 13. And then when we announced it, so the actual album comes out, we're pre-ordering now vinyl and CD and all that stuff. There's lots of bundles um, on the Golden Robot store and on the laguns.net uh, uh, website. But these guys, to their credit, when we put the word out to the distributors around the world that the new LA Guns Renegades album was coming out, we pre-sold our whole entire shipment within 24 hours, which means we're on second and third um, production cycle to keep up with the demand for their new album. How good is that? Wow. (laughs) Wow.
1: I mean, that's going to make you both. I mean, obviously, Mark he makes you feel good. But uh, Steve and Kelly, that's going to make you feel good because there's not a lot that's making people feel good now. And for you to put out music that people are really responding to, must uh I don't know, it, is, it just must give you a very warm feeling.
3: It makes us feel great, Brandon. And, uh, you know, I, like, you know, Mark and his team are doing such a great job. And Kelly is doing all the artwork and putting all of that together. And uh, it, like I said, in so many interviews, it boils down to the songs. And without good songs, you really don't have anything. And we felt like we had really, really good songs on this album. And uh, the first three singles, they were accepted so well. And we're just dying for everybody to hear the rest of the album. It's so deep, there's so much good stuff on this album. So it's making us feel great, bro.
1: What would what you say, and I'll ask this to, to Kelly, as far as the content of the album, because you've obviously you've lived a life you've experienced so much, you know, what separates this record maybe as far as the uh, lyrically or, you know, musically, than than you know, previous work that you've done with, you know, whether it's L.A. Guns or other bands you've been with.
0: Um, You got to be honest with a question like that. But, uh, you know, the process of doing it in the first place was really incredible, where everybody was so open minded and uh, you know we worked really hard using the internet and using uh technology and, and uh the only way possible to do it, and everybody really did their homework. So, you know, the whole process of doing it and with working with Mark uh was just incredible from the beginning. And you know, so having it come out, you know, I always say it's like just a gift to be able to make music and people dig it. So, we're very happy with that. And uh, you know, it, it's a great, it's a, it's a great thing. It's emotional. It's, you're putting out, you know, music, something that could change someone's life. And, you know, if people like it, it, it that's, you know, it's what we, we all hope for, of course, but when they do, and, you know, we get a good response, uh, knowing all the work that we've put in it, it makes you feel really uh, good about the, the whole thing. So, um, yeah, but it's part no. as as far as of different things. I mean, I felt—I'm sorry—but I felt like we really, like Steve and I, really had more of a say in this one without the other guys. You know, we were always kind of like pushed to the side, you know, except when we wrote the the hit. But <laughs> you know, most of the time, weren't in the studio after. You know, I would play my bass parts, and I would go home, not really, you know, help fill with some lyrics and melodies. Uh, but you know. They, they wanted to run the show a lot, so uh, it was nice to be able to have a say and to, uh, you know, to see that it's working and that uh, you know, we came up with some good ideas and some good twists and some good melodies and stuff, and you know, just, we always try to do the best we can. That's the thing. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. You
2: know what it is, Brandon? You know what it is? I tell you. It's really simple. I sit here day in, day out, and I'm nobody special. We're running a great company, but... Oh, man, come on. Thank you, thank you. But you you know, I sit here day in, day out, and I speak to people all over the world. And this business is so difficult as it is because you're competing with fucking idiots out there. You're competing with good bands, great bands, shit bands, people that think that they deserve a living in this business, people that want to sue you because they look at you the wrong way. Just, just whatever it is, there's always something to contend with, and. Just And every now and then, every now and then, something amazing comes along. And these two guys are really good people. They're good to work with. They're extremely talented. Um, They deserve the success. So when you've got two good people, well, the whole band, with with Kurt and Scott and, and Kelly and Steve, you've got an incredible band that's getting down to the basics of authentic rock and roll. There's no bullshit. Um, they've, been, they've been put up, there's been so many roadblocks put in front of these guys that with anyone with any less tenacity that didn't believe in themselves would have just said it's all too fucking hard. But they've just have never, from the moment we laid eyes on each other in, in, in I think it was August last year over a year ago in los angeles to now they've been unwavering in what they wanted to do and where they want to go and this is all going on via you know through a pandemic and no touring and everything else And they just got their eye on on the ball and they're good people and they've got a good album. And I'm telling you now, this Renegades album will be the best-selling L.A. Guns album in the last 20 years, absolutely no doubt about it. And they deserve that success because this is going to set them up for the next two, three, four albums and the next two, three, four world tours, et cetera, et cetera, over the next 10 years. So they deserve it. So the universe is rewarding them for who they are. It is fucking as simple as that.
1: You know, that's a, that's a theme. That's something that I've, that I've, I've said uh, that I've kind of borrowed a phrase from you, Mark, about good people. I think that's the most important thing. And that usually, you know, reflects itself through uh, whatever the art is, you know, of course, in this case, it's, uh, you know, it's music, it's rock music. So I kind of want to know, because we got a bit of Steve's story the first time around. Because, you know, you how long you guys have been friends, obviously, for a very long time before we became bandmates. Right. So I I, I want to know, know, like, when did you guys like meet, like was obviously it was on this the the Sunset Strip. Like, how did you remember how you guys first met? Man,
3: you know, and it's like a very it's a story that I don't think me and Kelly have really talked about a lot in interviews. Kelly and I knew each other before L.A. Guns. When I was in Wasp.
0: Here we go. I got to go. Oh, no, seriously.
3: <laughs> when I was in Wasp, I, Kelly, I, I was put in charge by Blackie to find the next bass player because he was going to switch over from guitar to, I mean, from bass to guitar because he had let Randy Piper go and he didn't want to play bass anymore. So Blackie wanted to play guitar. He asked me if I could be in charge of finding the next bass player for Wasp. And I got a bunch of people that sent stuff to me and we had them come down. Kelly was one of the people that sent me a package and I thought he was perfect for Wasp. I mean, I told Chris Holmes and I told Blackie, this guy is the guy that should be in the band. He not only had the look, he, he he had the whole package going for him. And I was pushing so hard to get Kelly in the band. And I was, um, I was really positive I was going to pull it off. And for some reason, it didn't happen. We had done a show with King Cobra and Blackie had hooked up with Johnny Rod and made that decision that he wanted to go with Johnny Rod. I was totally disappointed. Mm -hmm. I wanted Kelly to be in Wasp. I thought he would have been perfect. I thought he had the whole thing going on and we got along great too. And uh, the thing is, is that, you know, a year went by, maybe a year and a half went by after that. And boom, there I was, I was out of Wasp. He was in LA Guns. We ran into each other at SIR Studios. And we were like, are you kidding me? And they asked me to join, and then we're finally together. But we had known each other before LA Guns, and it's just a little-known story that, you know, he was that close to being in Wasp. He would have been in Wasp if it was up to me. It was supposed to be up to me to find the bass player. I thought I did find the one, but I got kind of overruled by Blackie. And in hindsight, I thought it was a terrible move. Nothing against Johnny Rod, but I thought Kelly fit the whole package. So perfect for Wasp that he should have been in Wasp. And it's just something that's really, really weird that it came around a year, year and a half later and we're in LA Guns together.
0: <laughs> I, already had the, yeah, I already had the buzz saw cod piece or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I had power tools laying around ready to
1: make my own yeah. costume. <laughs> There's got to be a lot of those near misses or just because a lot of the bands of that era, I mean, it's, it's hard to talk. It's obviously the elephant in the room and at the same time. It's not with, you know, lineup changes and everything. That's just got to be something that's is, is that something that you ever think about? Like, oh, what ha- what would happen if it was in this band? Or you look at like where you are now, considering how good things are. You're like, you know what? It is what it is. I am where I am for a reason. Where
0: Definitely. I, I, had a, I had a friend who was friends with some band and uh, they were looking for a bass player and he told me to go to the auditions and I didn't go and it was it was a band called Garbage it was wow. okay but you know we're okay. happy to we're we're, we're we're so happy to be where we're at you know we've had a, a long career and had fun doing it and you know we got farther than most and it's tough business and he's you know kept our heads right. together and Always really just enjoyed the, the whole process of it, you know, play, uh, making music, writing songs, and playing. That's it's right. It's really simple. We want to keep it simple like that, you know. We don't yeah. have it there, anything with the politics of it or anything. We just enjoy playing music and going out, meeting people, and traveling and seeing places. And it's just a great gig, you know. So we just always want to just keep it simple and enjoy it for that.
3: Yeah, even you know, the most. Yeah, if you keep it organic and and. You respect your fans, and you respect your bandmates, and it's a real organic feel. That's what happened with the four of us. When we got together to do this Renegades album, that's what I feel why it came out so good, because it was very an, an organic feel, and we all had so much to say and do within the album that everybody was invested into it. And 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 not, you don't always get that when you're doing an album with the band, like Kelly was saying. Sometimes you'll go in and do your part, you'll bring your songs in and you'll make sure that they get recorded, but then you're out of there because it's not a total organic feeling and, and you're not totally invested into it. This, we, we were totally invested, the four of us, we just all felt like we had a say in it. And that we really, it, 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 we just were pulling together, and I just, I think it came out on the album. I really do. I think that's that's why you, the album turned out so good. It was because of that. It was fun. And I wouldn't
1: even feel bit bad about, uh, you know, a quote-unquote near miss, if you want to label it that, because I just read that uh, Will Smith passed on the the role of Neo for The Matrix. <laughs> so, yeah, sure
0: uh, it happens a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's those those happen in, I mean, daily lives, people, you know, certain jobs. It's just interesting. So I appreciate, you know, just sharing that story and, you know, what could have been at that at that time. But who knows, you may not have led to this uh, this exact moment. So obviously it it didn't happen for uh, for a reason. Uh, You know, I I was actually a bit surprised to figure out how you you said that you guys met because I would have thought like you never came across. Uh, a faster pussycat, you never saw him play each other play live at that point then that never you like l a guns and faster never you never uh cross paths with your your older bands
3: well, you know I tell you what i I I've told this in many interviews also I was fortunate enough to, enough to be involved in both waves of metal that came out of the eighties in, in l a there, there was the wasp motley. Dawkins rat thing that happened in 82 to like about 86, 87. We were so busy on the road that we didn't know that the second wave of metal was happening out of LA with LA Guns, Guns N' Roses, Faster Pussycats, Jet Boy. We didn't even really, we weren't aware of it. We were on the road so much that we were kind of disconnected from the city a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when I got out of Wasp, and I saw this movement happening with G and LA guns and faster. I, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, none of them had really gotten out of LA at that point, but you could see there was some real excitement going on. And it was that second wave of hard rock metal that was coming out of LA. And again, I, I was fortunate, man. I, I, I got to partake in that first wave and then get into the second wave with LA Guns want me to join their band. So, you know, I mean, I don't think that the older bands from the early eighties really cross paths with those, this second wave of metal because we weren't okay. aware of it. Yeah. We weren't aware of it. We didn't really know what was
1: happening. That might even, and I'll just be honest, that might be my, my 37 year old self not being there not knowing that there really was a first wave and a second wave like that. And it's not even necessarily that I'm one of those that lumps everybody in together. I, I can tell bands apart, but it's to think back at that decade and, and to know that there were certain, I guess I don't know how else to put it better than you did, uh, waves. So I guess uh Kelly, can you talk a little bit about the, the wave that you were involved in? I know there's a lot of a lot of stories you, you could tell, but um if you could tell you know, maybe, maybe like a fun uh cat house hollywood story or if maybe what did you ever come across early guns and roses uh yeah i'm having like the that. same
0: problem now i had when i uh had to raise my daughter and she would ask me to tell her stories <laughs> stories man and i i couldn't really come up with anything so i had to like make my own up mm. so I had the dog that went to cat town and uh, every <laughs> night I would make up a story for her. Um, you know, it was a good time back then. It was um, a whole different world for sure. But, uh, you know, uh, wow. Hmm. <laughs> um, it was exciting, man. It, it was exciting. Yeah. It was definitely uh, just different. And, you uh, know, you just didn't, uh I can't even answer this question right now.
1: I'm trying to, the phrase in, in a very, in, in a good setup way, like to not get you in any sort of trouble yeah. or anything like that. Uh, I guess just to keep with the theme, to keep it simple, you know, appetite yeah. for distortion. Do you remember seeing Guns N' Roses for... Uh, Your first time or did you know any of those guys at that time?
0: Uh, I had befriended Steven Adler for a little bit. I ended up uh, renting his house for a little bit. But uh, we were hanging out a little bit and, uh, you know, told me uh, to come see them at uh, Gazaris, which was on the Sunset Strip. And I went one night to go see them. And, you know, nothing. what year was this? Oh, man, this is before the record uh, deal or anything. They were still playing clubs. So probably what eighty? They came out in eighty six. Eighty six, huh? So early eighty six, or if not, you know, late eighty five, I guess.
2: And did, did oh. you re- did you realize in those days? I suppose to both of you, you know, you talk about the first and the second wave. Did you realize that you were part of something really special? Or do you not realize while you're in it? Do you only realize later?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we're, go ahead, Steve.
3: I, well, you know, I, I, I was, I really did feel like I, I was being it's not part of something special because I, I'm a little bit older and uh, I started recording like in 1975 when I was yeah. like 19, you know, and uh, so when I came to LA in '77. There was a, you know, a bunch of us hanging out at the Rainbow just waiting to get signed, and we were in different bands. And so when 82 came around and Quiet Riot swung the door open, I knew that something special was happening, and all the bands were starting to get signed. And so, you know, I, like I said, that first wave with Motley and Wasp and Rat Was a really special thing because MTV had just broken and we were all over the radio and all over TV. I mean, it was everywhere. So it was definitely a feeling of being part of something special.
0: But I feel like if if you were into that, it was the right place to be at that time. Like you definitely knew something was happening because we, you know, you would hear about other bands being signed. I mean, I remember, you know, seeing Brett Michaels at the club handing out flyers and you know, everybody was going for it, trying it, and you knew that uh, that was the place to be, that if you were gonna get signed, that would that would be it right there. So yeah, we'd be hanging out at the rainbow and you just hope that uh, you know, it was your turn and like when it came for us, could I think. Tell,
2: everybody, could you okay. tell who was authentic and who were the real rock stars and who were just you know, coming along for the ride. Could you tell when you looked at a band, when you looked at Stephen, and um, as in Stephen Adler, or you looked at any of those guys? Could you tell that they were going to be as big as they were? Or Brett Michaels, for example, could you tell he was going to get signed?
0: You know, he had such a, he had a great smile and a nice. Uh, he was a nice guy, yeah. so I was happy for him. I felt like. Uh, you know, it seemed like everybody was going to get signed. It, yeah. it seemed like everybody was, was you know, trying. And, and like, you know, the hardest part of being in a band is everybody being on the same page. And I felt like we were on this, Ellie Guns was on the same page. Like when it all came, when we got Steve, you know, we were focused. We all had the same kind of ideas about where we were going to go. We weren't that scattered and, you know, I want to go New Wave or I want to do, we were ready to rock. And everybody there was, you know, just trying to find, a spot, you know, because definitely felt it was it there was you know it was happening. There was there was a scene which I don't think there are any more too much. Yeah. You know, coming from Seattle or England or LA, uh New York. At the, I, I feel like it's just all jambalaya now. But you know, so w- w- when you felt it was when we were in the scene, we felt like there was definitely a vibe uh going on around. So yeah, it was you were just hoping that you would, you know, be in one of the right bands that had the right people that were you know, ready to do this.
1: So. Right on. And you know what? This is a good question. I'm glad you came back on, Steve, and this is obviously to both, uh, both of you. I forgot, to, I forgot to ask this last time. I've had uh, Penelope Spheris on the podcast, the director of The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2. Uh, I guess A, were you asked at all to be involved? Because we did find out that Guns or Roses was supposed to close it, uh, the, the show. and ended up being Megadeth. Uh, but I believe it was Alan Niven who nixed it because they were doing so well and they didn't want to jinx anything. So, so it, we I like finding out hidden stories. So, I guess were you ever were you involved? Uh, but what did you think of it when it came out? I guess that that you that know, film. I it, it. It's funny you're asking that okay. because I,
3: I tell you what, I I watched it a couple of weeks ago. It was on TV, mm-hmm. and I had already seen it because obviously the infamous. Chris Holmes scene in it and Chris and me are are great friends and that scene is infamous with him in the pool but Mm -hmm. again Brandon, the reason why I go back to everything is about the song, when I watched Decline a couple of weeks ago what was odd was they focused on a lot of LA bands that were playing at Ghazari's and they were passing out flyers. And these bands, one after another, kept saying, I'm gonna be a rock star. Right. I'm gonna be a rock star. I will be a rock star. But what if you don't make it as a rock star? No, I'm gonna be a rock star. See, that to me is the wrong way to go into it. If you're not gonna go into it with songs, that's why LA Guns appealed to me right away. When they asked me to join, they gave me a cassette of their first album. And when I listened to it, they had songs. They had really good songs. And they weren't saying, we're gonna be rock stars. They were saying, we're gonna put out a great album. Yeah, And that's the difference with the bands that are on decline. There were bands that wanted to be rock stars and it's such a bad way to go into this business saying, I want to be a rock star. Now you want to master your instrument. you want to master songwriting. you want to be able to put a song together that makes sense and that appeals to people. The rock star thing will follow but if you're going into it saying, I want to be a rock star, man, you are on the wrong track. you, yeah. you right away you're going off the rails right away. And that's what I noticed in that decline so many of the bands that said that did not make it they were bands that just did not get signed or maybe they did get signed and they had a one off record that's lasted about 2 months but they they were going into it with the wrong attitude saying i want to be a rock star that will follow if you have good songs you might become a rock star you might become a star but without the songs you shit
1: you know, I got to say, and this, uh, again, is to both of you, because that what you're saying now is very close to a, a quote I put up yesterday to uh, the, the late and great uh, Eddie Van Halen. He said, if you want to be a rock star, just be famous, then just run down the street naked, and you'll make the news or something. But If you want to make music, and uh, it, if, if you want to make music to be your livelihood, then play, 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 and play, and eventually you'll get to where you want to be. Absolutely, that's essentially what you're saying.
3: Mm. Oh, it makes so much sense, man. It's really like, you know, you really want to, if you don't want to master your instrument, you want to really learn how to play it well. You want to learn how to really sit behind the drums, sit behind, hold the guitar, a bass guitar, and really know what you're doing playing it. And, and, you know, once you can do that, you can start putting songs together and writing really well. But he's so right about that. It's like, you know, you, you got to get into your instrument. You got to get into your songwriting and you got to get into what the band is all about. That's what appealed to me with LA Guns. That's why I went from headlining Long Beach Arena with Wasp to playing clubs with LA Guns because they had the songs. They had the path. They, they knew what they were doing. And it was just appealing. I knew that they had the songs and that's what attracted me the most.
1: I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Did either of you uh, see uh, Eddie Van Halen live, Van Halen live? Um, any experience uh, with that band?
0: I saw them live. Uh, yeah, I saw them live second row. And I, I, as soon as they came out, I jumped to the front and stuck my hand out. And Dave came over and gave me a high five. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't know, 17, 18. I was like, yeah, that was great. <laughs> Uh, and it's man, obviously got, stuck I, with you. I, I got to oh, tell yeah. you, I got to no, tell you. That man.
3: Bad always. <laughs> yeah, man, I'll tell you, I, I, you know, one of you, a weird story, too. And I, I haven't really told it much, too. When I came out to L.A. in 77, um, I came out here and I was friends with the Angel people, the, the 70s rock band Angel. And I grew up with them on the East Coast. And they had already been out here since 75 They're on Casablanca from 75 on. And uh, one of the guys that brought me out here was Mickey Jones, the bass player from Angel. And uh, we were going to start a band together called Empire. And I came out here in 77. And they were really good friends with Van Halen. And Van Halen really kind of looked up to Angel because Angel was signed. And Van Halen in 87, they had just gotten signed They didn't break out of L.A. yet. So 78, right? Yeah, 78. The album came out the first album, but 77 late 77. They got signed. Okay. so they were still playing clubs in L.A. when I came out and Angel took me to the whiskey to see them. And I saw them play the first album at the whiskey. And uh, I got to know Eddie. I wasn't a lifelong friend of Eddie's because he, he became so big and in this business, when you become that big, there's a separation that happens and in, in, in it's just a natural separation. But in 77, through Mickey Jones and Angel, I got to know Eddie and uh, I got to hang out with him a couple of times. He actually came by my apartment where I was living with my sister, with Mickey Jones and he picked me up in his brown van. He had a brown van that they used for their shows. And we went to see Quiet Riot at the Starwood with Randy Rhodes. Hmm. We were we I was hanging, me, it was me, wow. Mickey, Eddie, wow. Van Halen. and we were just having a good time. And Randy Rhodes was burning on the stage. He was with Quiet Riot with Kevin, and it was before Frankie and Rudy had joined. Right. And he was just amazing. I had never seen, I saw him and I was like, wow. And I asked Eddie, I said, wow, what do you think of this guy? And it's funny. And he was just like, ah, he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And it was like both of them turned out to be legends. And yeah. uh, I, you know, I, I, I got to know Eddie uh, pretty well during 77 and then 78 they took off. And everything happened. There was that like natural separation. But it was just an odd story. I went and saw Randy Rhodes with Eddie Van Halen at wow. the sideboard, And I asked That's him awesome. what he thought of Randy Rhodes, and he was like, Man, it's all right. he's okay. <laughs>
2: That's
3: so cool. It was just an amazing, amazing story, and I'll never forget it because yesterday when I found out he died, all of these things came back and it was like, you know, it was uh, it's so sad that he's gone, you know.
2: What what mm. what's it what's it like? Um, to sort of play with all these guys and grow up with these guys. And obviously Frankie passed away a few weeks ago. Yes.
1: I was um, about to bring that up. Thank you.
2: What's it like to see your comrades and your, your equals um, passing away way too young, way too young. Is, is that hard, harder for you? Cause you know them. This is to both of you cause you know them or you've seen them or you played with them. Is, is it, just, does it hit you a little bit harder? Does it make you feel, does it make you question your mortality, etc.? <laughs>
0: yeah, fucking pirates' life to the end, man. Mm. Yeah,
3: totally. And you know, I mean,
0: right.
3: I, in '77, I got to meet Frankie too. Frankie yeah. was one of the the rag muffins that were hanging out with all of us at the Rainbow, waiting to get signed, waiting to find out what our futures were all about. It was Blackie, it was Mickey Six, it was Randy Rose. Frankie Benelli, I happened to be in that bunch just hanging and waiting and seeing what was going to happen. So me and Frankie gravitated towards each other. We were really good friends, obviously, being drummers, mm. liking the same mm. style, liking John Barnum and Cozy Powell. We liked the same things. I had done a stint in Steppenwolf and I replaced him in Steppenwolf. Is that he, right? was, he was in Steppenwolf yeah. before me and he quit and I replaced him in Steppenwolf when Why I joined the Beatles. Rock, too? <laughs> What's What's the
0: Beatles for a minute
3: <laughs> oh, you there, know, this is this the Rattles. this is in 78 and 79 and this is when a couple of original members each had a Steppenwolf out and me and Frankie got to play with that band that went out him for a couple of years me to replace him and then obviously when I was out of Washington 87 he replaced me so we were very connected we were we were really good friends and. And him passing is is a big, big loss too, you know? So him passing and Eddie passing, it it, it does. It it, it makes you feel really, really sad. You knew the guys and you knew how great they were as musicians. Great people too. And um, it's just something, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It's a real
1: big loss. I think it's just why we're... We're grateful, and I know it doesn't measure up the same way, but whatever good can come out of this horrendous year, you know. And, and, and that's why I wanted to make sure we started off on a positive note, talking about new things, new music, and the relationship that you guys have, and you know, how far both of you have come. So that's the, you know, if you're going to take any sort of a solace out of it, uh, silver lining, you know, obviously it, it doesn't, it's never going to be equal, but we got to take what we can get this thing called life as they, uh, as they say.
0: That's why at this age, we're just so like, you know, we just want to play. We want to put out records. We don't care. We just, you know, we're, we're happy for every day and just to be able to do it. Absolutely. Keep it simple and just want to play some music, you know?
3: I never take it for for granted. I never will. I always feel fortunate that I'm still playing, that I'm in a band that I love the guys playing with me and that I'm able to record to work with people like Mark and Golden Robot. I mean, I never take any of this for granted. And no matter what I've done in the past, I always feel fortunate that I'm still doing it. I, I, I just, I'm lucky. I feel like I'm a lucky guy and that me and Kelly got to do this Renegades album. And I, I still feel fortunate that we're able to even do that, you know? So we're, we're, we're a couple of lucky guys, man, that we're still doing
1: it. Lucky guys. name of the next album (laughs) and that'll be the album cover (laughs) the double
2: guns (laughs) lucky guys I like
1: that (laughs) I love it I can't thank you enough obviously Steve for coming back on and Kelly as I mentioned I've had requests from my listeners to have you on so I'm glad we can You know, Mark can help me out finally make this happen and uh, Mark my my co-pilot from Down Under you know uh, we'll obviously do this again you know just thank all three of you for, for being on the show today
0: Thanks very much. Thanks, Mark. Of course,
1: man. Thanks so
2: much for the, for the support. You're a good friend. No, thank awful. you. Yeah, no, thank It's you. all good, man. We're we're looking forward to this album out next next month. Right
0: Leguns.net for info. That's it, man.
2: Get those bundles out there. All right. It. Thanks, Brando. You got it. All right. all right. Have a good night. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having us on. As well. Thanks Bye, guys.
1: So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. If you're listening on your usual podcast platform, whether it's IR Radio or Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, I lose track of the meta podcast platforms that we're on. So however you listen to it normally, if you're just listening to the audio, don't forget I've started to put episodes on YouTube. And especially with episodes like this, Zoom, where you get to see all of us, that might be the, the most fun way to experience the, uh, the AFD show. I, I would say. I mean, there's a visual for a reason, so I'm putting it up on uh, on YouTube. So until next time, when will you see the next episode? Who will be the next guest? Well, of course, continue with the conversation in between episodes on social media, facebook.com slash the AFD show, at the AFD show on Twitter, Instagram, Appetite for Distortion. But when are you going to hear it? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it, I don't know, as soon as the word. Yeah!
0: I'm going home.